Good morning church. I'm glad that I was able to meet many of you this morning. To the rest of them, we really miss you and long to see you face to face very soon, God willingly. Let us say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see the eternal truth from your word and open our hearts to receive the instruction from your word. In Jesus name. Amen. Would you like to watch a movie. From the middle of it. And then have to catch up. With who the characters are. And then guess what has already taken place. In the plot. And then have to leave the movie before the climax. Welcome. To the book of Philemon. In the New Testament. There are a lot of things. In the letter of Philemon. That we don't know. We know that Paul wrote this letter from a prison. But we cannot establish it with certainty whether he wrote it from Rome or from Ephesus. We know that there were certain problems between these two guys, Philemon and Onesimus. But we don't know exactly the reason behind the contention. We know that Paul requested Onesimus and Philemon to get reconciled. But... We don't know exactly what happened in history after Philemon read the letter. I guess these are things which we'll have fun to know about the answers in heaven or maybe not. But I guess whatever is required for us to know right now for our edification, the Holy Spirit has already made it known to us. So instead of focusing on what we don't know, uh, let us focus on what we know. We know that the letter of Philemon is the shortest of letters written by Paul in the Bible. Paul is writing the letter from his confinement in the prison. And the entire letter revolves around these two characters, Philemon and Onesimus. So who is Philemon? It appears that Philemon was a Roman citizen and now a resident of Colossae. Because in Colossians chapter 4 verse 17, we read Paul is saying and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And in Philemon chapter 2, uh, sorry, the verse 2, he says, Anaphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, the church in your house. So both places we see this person Archippus. And so we know that, hey, this is it's written to the same, same church. So it is very likely that Philemon might have become a Christian in one of his business trips in Ephesus through the ministry of Apostle Paul. Because in Philemon verse 19, it says that Paul, I Paul write this to you with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. We get a hint over here that uh, maybe Philemon was uh, uh, met the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul. And so when he goes back to uh, Colossae and the community of the followers of Jesus met together in Colossae, Philemon becomes a leader of that assembly and opens up his house for a church meeting. Now Philemon was very wealthy and like all wealthy patriarchs at that time, Philemon owned slaves. And we know that one of them, one of the slaves, his name was Onesimus. 
Uh, but we also know from reading Philemon that Onesimus did not have a good relationship with Philemon. Because in Philemon verse 11, what we read is Paul saying to Philemon, formerly he was useless to you. Now this gives a hint. And we also come to know that Philemon, that Onesimus probably might have run away from Philemon. How do we know this? We get the hint in verse 15, where Paul writes to Philemon that for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. And there is also a hint that while running away, he might have robbed some of Philemon's possession too. In Philemon verse 18, it says that if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. So we know we know we can we can try to assume certain things from these things, from these verses over here. Uh, that Onesimus might be a runaway slave or he might have stolen something and run away from Philemon. And, uh, and then we, we also see that uh, after running away from Philemon, Onesimus reaches Rome uh, at the time when Paul was imprisoned over there and then happened to meet Paul in some occasion. And it was Paul who led Onesimus to the Lord. And then on, Onesimus becomes a faithful Christian and was serving Paul. How do we know that? In, in Philemon verse 10, we see Paul says that I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in imprisonment. So the purpose of this letter is to intercede for Onesimus. That Onesimus would return to Philemon and make right the wrongs of the past. And that Philemon will receive Onesimus back. In other words, reconciliation. Paul's desire is that Philemon will receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ and not merely as a slave. So this book teaches a lot about what means to be reconciled. The theme of the book is reconciliation in action. Now imagine this scene. Onesimus is with this letter which Paul has written to Philemon and he reaches the house of Philemon and then there is a knock on Philemon's home. Philemon opens the door and who does he see? His estranged runaway slave Onesimus and then the letter is handed down to Philemon and then Philemon reopens the letter and there is Onesimus standing over there and Philemon is reading this epistle which Paul is addressing to him. The letter of Philemon has also been a reason for producing many Paul-bashing scholars. Yes, I say Paul-bashing scholars. Because they ask the question that why is Paul not addressing this case of injustice brought about by the institution of slavery? I would like to uh, say over there one more thing. That whenever we read the Bible... We need to remove our 21st century glass that we are wearing and put on the lens of the 1st century. If anybody in the 1st century said that I want to give up your slaves, I want you all to give up your slaves, it would be, uh, it would be equivalent of saying today, I would like you all to give up your cell phones. 
We know that cell phones and their towers cause dangerous radiations. But giving up the cell phones for that reason altogether is a very different mindset. Understand that runaway slave is to, to, run, to run away as a slave is, to, is, is equivalent to a capital crime. And slaves were considered subhuman and property. It is in this context that Paul is advocating for a runaway slave. Something that is completely unheard of in the ancient world. When Apostle Paul is advocating for a runaway slave and asking Philemon to treat Onesimus, this runaway fugitive slave, as his own brother, that itself is a radical thought never heard. To understand this paradigmatic shift which Paul is making, I would like you to read a letter written addressing a similar situation in the same time period in the Greco-Roman world. It was the letter of Pliny the Younger to Sabianus regarding an unnamed freedman, not a slave. This unnamed freedman who had also offended his former boss. Keep both his letters side by side and try to compare it. You will see that Paul's appeal is radically different from Pliny's appeal. Where Pliny is careful to maintain the status quo and the hierarchy, here is Apostle Paul, whose desire is that Philemon will receive Onesimus not merely as a slave, but now as a brother in Jesus Christ. Unlike Pliny, Paul simply does not want Onesimus' reinstatement as a slave. No. Instead, he wants to elevate the status of, of the slave, who, because of who is in Christ now, is a brother to Philemon. For a master to embrace his slave as a brother is a radical change which only Jesus Christ can bring about. Justice can only be brought about by Jesus Christ. Evil can only be abolished by Jesus Christ. Reconciliation can only be brought about by Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright says that if the only document we have from early Christianity was this letter to Philemon, we could deduce a very great deal about what Christianity is, what Christianity was from this letter alone because we know what happened to slaves in the ancient world and what is going on in this letter by contrast is radically different. Many a times we are puzzled by the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. That is this message of reconciliation which is not only preached by Paul but is also clearly demonstrated by Paul. But how did this reconciliation become such effective in the early church? For that, we need to see how the early church functioned. And we get a glimpse of that in the book of Philemon. So that's my plan for the next two Sundays that I would be preaching. Next Sunday, I would be dealing with the crux of the message of the letter of Philemon, which is reconciliation. Uh, which is from verse 8 to verse 25. And today, allow me to present the basis of the effectiveness of the ministry of reconciliation, which is the life and identity of the early church.
if the ministry of reconciliation is the fruit then we need to see that the life and identity of the early church is the root without the root we will fail to produce the fruit so today i would be focusing on the root which is the life ministry and identity of the early church and next sunday god willingly we will be looking onto the fruit that is a ministry of reconciliation so in the first part of the book of philemon uh, it gives us a glimpse of the first century church very recently in our ministry group we were having this discussion on how do we see the church functioning or how do we like to see the church functioning particularly due to the changes that is brought about by this global pandemic now this book of philemon gives us an idea how the church looked like in the first century if anything we would want to imitate let it be the best practices of the early church so let me read the first portion which is from verse 1 to verse 7 verses 1 to verse 7 paul a prisoner of christ jesus and timothy our brother to philemon our beloved fellow worker and aphia our sister and archippus our fellow soldier and the church in your house grace to you and peace from god our father and lord jesus christ i thank my god always when i remember you in my prayers because i hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the lord jesus and for all the saints and i pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in us for the sake of christ for i have derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you these first seven verses help us to understand what was church like in the first century this is very important for us to understand if we want to imitate the fruits of the early church paul introduces himself as paul a prisoner for christ jesus and that's the first thing i want to let i want you all to understand know your identity paul is very clear of his individual identity yes he is in the roman prison but he was very clear that he is not a in is not caesar's prisoner he is prisoner of christ paul is literally the in prison for jesus christ later we see that he described himself as an old man and that was his stage of life so he was an apostle he was a leader he was now a prisoner all these are his roles he had many roles but only one identity that is in christ of christ for christ friends we may have many roles father son mother sister daughter brother employee manager whatever but we should never derive our identity from these roles we can derive our identity only from jesus christ last wednesday during our sermon discussion i like the way our dear brother bob defenbach put it in the bible we see that your identity is the key, is the key to your role in the present day the role is the key to your identity let's make 
our identity key to our role. I am a student. That's my role. My identity is Christ. Student for Christ. Teacher for Christ. Manager for Christ. You know, whatever position we are in, that's for Christ. You know, taxi driver for Christ. Janitor for Christ. Literally, that's possible. The last uh, few days back, I was reading a blog in patheos.com by a person who serves as a custodian in his church. And he writes this. Let me, let me read what he, what, what, what he writes. He says that, When I vacuum the carpets and take out the trash in the staff offices, I often think of myself as doing a prophetic act in each of their lives. As I execute my mundane chores, I pray that any demonic assignments against the specific staff members be cancelled for anything else that may be affecting them to be cleansed from them. When I wash the windows, I intercede for the whole church, praying that the body would get clear vision for its mission to the community and the world. I often ask how the Holy Spirit I often ask to the Holy Spirit how I can pray for the person whose office I am cleaning and what scriptures to declare over them. Friends, almost all positions and roles you and I are engaged in can be redeemed for God. I want to challenge you today. All those who are listening to me, probably many of you are already doing it. I want you to take your job or your role, whatever you are engaged in, and write a prayer of how you are going to redeem it for Christ. You might be employed by anybody. Doesn't matter. But your presence in that organization is for Christ. So know your individual identity. It is in Christ. The second thing which we can understand from this salutation of Paul. A Paul a prisoner is that in the early church. The early church was a, was a suffering church. Paul is in the prison for the sake of Christ. For the sake of the gospel. He turned it into the advantage by writing letters. Which we hold today in our hand and call it as the Bible. He never complained about his freedom. Or right. Or for that matter. Uh, uh, anything but, uh, but just endure the suffering. As a non-US citizen. When I came to the United States. I truly admire the level of freedom. You guys enjoy over here. And I truly praise God. For the USA, which has been a champion of democracy. But sometimes when I see the news, what is going around me, I wonder whether we have taken our freedom, our democracy for granted. My heart truly aches when I see Christians in this free nation disobeying certain orders, giving the excuse that it infringes on their constitutional freedom, right to freedom. I'm, I'm truly shocked to see that a certain orders for the benefit of the weak, such as wearing a mask, can even become a matter of contention among Christians. I have seen some Christians even equating this with suffering and persecution. Are you kidding? I want you to look at the churches and Christians outside the US, especially in countries like China, India and the Middle East, and understand that what real persecution and suffering is. In the majority world, Every day, people are being mercilessly beaten up and being killed for just being a Christian. I subscribe to a news website which updates me on persecution in India. You know, let me let me read uh, to you in the last few days from the news headlines what what uh, what I got to hear from this. So uh, it's just it's August 9th today. It is just nine days. In these nine days, 
see what all have taken place. You know, it says that families of three Christian brothers brutally attacked and left homeless by a mob. In another place, un under construction church being vandalized. In, in, in another place, it says that uh, Christians forced to conduct non-Christian funeral and renounce the faith. People are living in real persecution and suffering like the early church. Uh, but also, I, I, when we were back in India doing church planting, we have seen church members being beaten, including women and children, only because they refused to participate in idol worship of that village. But let me tell you one thing, wherever we saw persecution and suffering, the church grew. The place where the entire church members were mercilessly beaten, today has a very active church going on. And I was glad to see last time when we went that some of the persecutors, they themselves joined the church. The church did not retaliate and turn to their constitution, but the entire church turned to the Lord in prayer. I'm not saying that we do not use legal protections. By all means, use it. But do not place your trust on that fallible piece of law or constitution. Instead, place your trust on the infallible word of God. This was the case in the early church, which endured suffering and through suffering they grew. By the way, let me remind you that we are looking forward for a kingdom of God. And that is not going to be a democracy. So let us know. Uh, let, let us not get used to so much talking about our rights and personal freedom and choice. Because we would be the subjects in the kingdom serving our mighty king. The next point I want to share is seen in the way Paul addresses. He says to Philemon, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker and Aphia our sister and Archippus our fellow soldier now whether Archippus is Philemon's son or another member of the church I'm not going to deal into that but the very usage of the words over here catches attention fellow worker fellow soldier this shows that Paul considered all these people as his co-workers laboring for the Lord that's our vocational identity. The ecclesiology of the early church was very simple. All were working and laboring for the Lord according to the various gifts given to them. Throughout the New Testament, we see this pattern that everybody in the church were working and laboring for the gospel work. This is so much different than the present day corporate style churches with the deacon board behaving like, like the board of directors and where the senior pastor assumes the role of the CEO. I'm sorry to say that such ecclesiology is not found in the Bible. The present day style of church governance is much borrowed from corporate America rather than the Bible. In the Bible, there was no clergy laity difference. All were saints. For the work of the ministry. That's what we read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. Of course there was the biblical office of elders and deacons. And some were specially called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But the labor and the work was done by every person. Everybody. The early church functioned as one family. So in a family when there is a need of correction or maybe exhortation. 
we see the offended and the offender come together in reconciliation because they have no other place to go outside the family because you have only one family and if there is a problem in my family i won't decide to leave my family and join another family that's absurd but today we see that it is easier for for people to leave the church and join another if they are getting offended instead of reconciliation because they do not consider this the church is not functioning as a family now philemon might be a wealthy business trader that was his role but he was a fellow worker that is his vocational identity you may be an employee an owner of some organization but with respect to the church of god you and i need to be fellow workers laboring for the kingdom of god that work is not outsourced to pastors or staff member you know and the rest of us are like passive audience no of course god has given some people the unique gift of teaching and pastoring to equip all others of us to work for the gospel work now every person among you have been given a gift by the holy spirit and i want to encourage you to discover that gift and use it for the glory of god there is no saved person who is without the gift because the bible clearly says that everybody has been given the gift by the holy spirit i want to welcome each one of you to consider yourself as this fellow worker fellow soldier for the kingdom of god that's our vocational identity many of you are already laboring according to the calling to the rest i would urge please find out what's your gift what's your calling and serve the lord in that capacity going ahead i would like to uh, draw your attention to the phrase that paul greets by saying the church in your house now that's a strange phrase in the 21st century christian we are not accustomed to thinking of church being inside our house and so when we read this we are puzzled by it uh, you know because we have the 21st century idea of church in our mind the common idea in in, the, in this world is that you go down to the street you see a building with a cross and a steeple and we say that hey this is the church no that's not the church that's simply the building where the church meets <laughs> it's like it's like pointing the capitol building in washington dc and saying that's the congress no that's not the congress the congress is where the 535 members come together and they usually meet in the united states capitol in washington dc so similarly 418 east main street richardson is not the church it's the building where normally the church gathers so we don't go to the church we meet as a church in community bible chapel when there were restrictions on meeting as a group many christians started opposing it and are still opposing that the government is shutting down our churches and the government is infringing on the freedom of our churches no no government can shut down the church because we are the church you and i we make the church of god so when we met at the park sometime back and partook in the lord's table elements we met together as a body of christ which is the church the point i am trying to make is the location of our service does not decide our corporate identity we are his church and we were added to his body at the moment we received lord jesus as our personal savior isn't that a great assurance 
no human power can take away that corporate identity which we have as a church. Let us see the church the way the early church saw it, being our corporate identity. We are the church, as opposed to the 24th, 21st century notion of where people go to the church and reduce the church as a service provider. When there are issues with service provider, we simply change our subscription to another service provider. But that's not the church. We can't do that with the church. Reconciliation is not possible if our idea about church is incorrect. Because in that case, we can simply choose to go somewhere else and then there is no need of reconciliation. But when we see church as one body, the parts of the body have to be in reconciliation with each other if they have to be in the same body. So that's what, what, what did we learn till now? We learned in these three verses that we need to set our identity right. Our individual identity in Christ. Our vocational identity, fellow workers of Christ. And our corporate identity, the body of Christ, the church. Now the next, next few four verses from verse 4 to verse 7 would talk about the, the community aspect of it. So we dealt with the identity aspects. Now we are moving to the community aspect. And that's where we read Paul is addressing to the, we read that Paul is addressing this to the whole church, which looks like a personal matter of Philemon. This is where we need to understand in the early church, uh, the two families, the natural family and the spiritual family intersected. Hence, not only Philemon needs to accept Onesimus, but also the entire church needs to, if Onesimus has to be set, uh, freed for ministry. You know, back in India, in the Eastern culture, which is more community oriented, this is easy to understand where, where our church lives were very much intersected with our family lives. But, but in, the Western, in the Western culture, which is more individualistic oriented, this is something uh, somewhat a little bit difficult. You know, here we see a clear separation between church and family. Of course, there has to be a difference, but there also has to be an appropriate space for intersection between the, between the church life and the family life. You know, as we have set our identity correct, the book of Philemon also teaches us, you know, to, uh, the importance of community. So we have an identity and we have a community. I love the idea of having ministry groups in homes, which provides the space of this intersection. Back in India, we had the concept of cottage meeting, where, you know, we, we would uh, rotate the prayer meeting from house to house, to each person's house. When you enter somebody's house, you are entering into their personal space. It makes a huge difference. Like for in a family, every member of the family intersects in each other's personal lives. We can see here Philemon's willingness to open up his house for the church meeting. The application is not that we start house churches. No, the application is that whatever resources we have, be it our home, our vehicle, or whatever is it at your disposal, let it be opened for the church or for the ministry of God as Philemon did. I came to know the Lord through student ministry back in India. As I look back, to my spiritual journey, I can say that it was because of a few Christian families that opened up their homes for a young student like me that were instrumental in shaping my Christian faith 
in my formative years. These families would sacrifice their own personal space to accommodate me. And that was the investment they made for me, which they will definitely reap eternal benefits. These families were not pastors or church staff. They had other secular work to ensure that the food is on their table. But they loved the Lord very much to be willing to open up their limited resources to minister to me. Whatever little they earned from their non-Christian job, they used it to minister students like me. Like like Philemon, they sacrificed their personal space, personal resources for the church and ministry. Would you take a moment and look back at what you hold? It may be your house. It may be your vehicle. It could be your time or whatever at your disposal. I don't know. But would you be willing to use it like Philemon for the purpose of ministry? Let's go further. Verse 4, Paul says that I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. The prayer life. The prayer life of Paul has always fascinated me. Each of his prayers recorded in the Bible show how faithfully he interceded for his co-workers. And for the churches he planted. And for the leaders of those churches he planted. The seminary I attend is well known to produce excellent Bible expositors. But how about prayer warriors? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The ultimate test of the Christian life is the amount of time we give to prayer. Prayer should be delightful and not just a duty. And when we read the prayers of Paul from the Bible, we see that he delighted in that prayers. These days, I'm I'm using a a guided prayer book. You know, this is the value of the vision. You know, it's a collection of Puritan prayers. The prayers in it show that they truly delighted every word they prayed. This is one area in my life which I want to grow. I want to become a man of prayer. This is one, uh, I know one elderly sister who loves us very much. And I'm amazed by her prayer life. Every time we meet her, she will point out and ask about Hey, what happened to that issue? That one which you were dealing about. Hey, what, what did that particular thing get solved? By her questions, I know that she prays for us so much in detail. Paul used to pray in detail, praising God for each aspect and gift of the person he prayed for. He knew them all so well. Most of the time we have so much to do that prayer usually becomes our last resort. It was Martin Luther who said that I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. If there is one thing that can bring revival, it is prayer. If there is, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if each one of us remember just one person from our church or ministry group and start praying for them? Then in verse 5, as we continue, we see Paul says that because he says to Philemon, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. Bible scholars have said that this is a chiastic word structure, which is usually a crosswise arrangement of concepts and words, you know, in a repeated reverse order. So that's why in the Net Bible, they succinctly put it in the right order, saying that 
your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So love for others is the evidence for our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. These both go hand in hand. Paul will appeal to Philemon based on the argument to demonstrate his love towards Anesimus, which is the evidence of his faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, you cannot say that you have faith if you don't love. Does that ring a bell to us? Yes, that was Paul's teaching throughout. He said in Galatians 5-6, faith without love is dead. Faith and love are not either or propositions. It is both and. Let us admit that in the 2000 year history of Christianity, the church many times has been in the wrong side of history. Whenever we esteemed one over the other. Let us confess that our wonderful forefathers who did many right things were not always on the right side of history. And some of the injustice and prejudice that we see today in the society is because some good Christians in the past did not consider faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the saints go hand in hand. I love the motto of Community Bible Chapel. Loving God and loving my neighbor. Yes, both of them go together. In Rwanda, where 90% of them are professed Christians, it is difficult to grasp that these Christians committed horrible atrocities against each other in the name of ethnicity. When asked about the, the Rwandan genocide, an intervarsity leader of that region, John D. Roth, mentioned this. He said, Missionaries preached a gospel about having a right relationship with God, but not necessarily right relationship with one another. This is why we can be 90% Christian, yet kill in the name of ethnicity. Back in India, where I come from, discrimination based on caste has continued to exist for centuries. While Christianity reached the shores of southern India in the first century itself, Christians are yet to be reconciled. People have changed their religion to Christianity, but they refuse to get away with their caste identity. There are still caste-based churches in India where people from a different caste are still unwelcome. Right here in North America, which often boasts of its Judeo-Christian heritage, I find it difficult to answer my daughter when she asks me what took such a long time to outlaw the discrimination based on race and color. The recent events involving racial injustice in this nation has shook the world. Christians should be in the forefront against racial injustice and systemic racism because it is only from the Bible we learn that all individuals are created in the image of God. Christianity is not simply what we believe but also how we treat other people. By the way, as a side note, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was an economic system not based on race, unlike what we witness in the European and the Western world in this modern race-based slavery, which violates the very idea of humanity created in the image of God. We as a church needs to acknowledge that there exists inequality in the society. And we need to denounce any idea, any thought or any action that gives the slightest of hint that some are superior to others. 
let us as i move forward let's uh, in verse 6 he says that and i pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in us for the sake of christ the actual translation of the word sharing in greek is koinonia which means fellowship whenever we hear in the english language sharing of the faith we think of evangelism but here the word is used in the context of koinonia or fellowship what is the meaning of the fellowship of your faith it's not evangelism the con because we know that the context in verse 7 points out what paul has done for his brothers in other words the fellowship with other brothers and how he has worked hard to refresh them paul is not telling here about the evangelistic work instead the phrase here refers to the common faith with other believers about the christian community life which stems out because of the shared practices in one body and that is a church this is very very important point that paul makes here our faith is a shared experience which bonds us together of course you put your personal faith in jesus christ but when that happens what happens he puts you and me and all of us who believe in the lord and savior jesus christ into one body and that body is the church and that is where we grow there is no substitute for christian growth and maturity apart from the body of christ if you think that you can have spiritual formation by simply doing your personal study of the bible and doing your quiet time that is a lie which satan wants us to believe spiritual formation happens in the context of a community and that community is the community of those who have shared experiences of faith in the lord jesus christ we are so much confused with the western culture of individualism that we unknowingly carry that into our christian lives just try to see the beautiful hymns and songs sometimes what we sing it's more of the word i and very less of the word of the pronoun we in it the early church was all about community they grew as a community the letter written to philemon looks like a personal letter but it is also addressed to the entire church why because in other words paul indicated that to us that in the early church personal relationships business relationships reconciliation with other people all intersect with our church life you cannot simply divide with a clear line our individualistic culture may prompt us to say that oh no that is an invasion of privacy because this society which we lives in teaches us a lie that religion is purely a private matter no nothing can be so further from the truth this letter challenges the western value of individualism and self sufficiency the early church functioned in a communal context and considered church as an extended family and christian communities functioned as interdependent families church is not simply a group of people who hold same religious opinions and have volunteered to come together no just see the life and times of the new testament church through the book of acts we see this theme of church is koinonia or fellowship this idea of fellowship is not only mutual sharing of things and possession but it is also that the early church members themselves belong to each other and were even mutually identified so friends what did we see this morning we saw that uh, what we saw was a precursor to reconciliation which is 
lifestyle of the early church. The lifestyle of the early church was the precursor, was the precursor to, to reconciliation. True reconciliation simply does not happen. It happens in the right context. In the context of what? Our identity and community. Our personal identity in Christ. Our vocational identity as fellow workers. Our corporate identity as a body of Christ. And finally, our, our, our koinonia, the fellowship of the community which we enjoy. That's, that's the first century church. As I go ahead in verse 7, uh, is shows one of the ways in which this mutual participation in the community was realized within the koinonia context. It's, an ex it's a very great example of that. Paul says that in verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The word refresh used here is a metaphorical usage of a, of a kind of military rest which usually an army takes when on a march and which, which, which gives them the much needed refreshment to get back to the battle with a renewed vigor. I remember last time, last year during the summer when I was in India and in Nepal for ministry work, my co-worker and I used to travel to different villages and uh, different towns for this work and we used to stay at a believer's home and then we used to do the ministry and then proceed to another town and stay at another believer's home do ministry over there and then proceed to another the, the same pattern continued we were thrilled by the hospitality we received from these economically poor brothers and sisters who were eager to provide a shelter and the best home cooked food with whatever meager resources they had, they truly refreshed our hearts. Such a refreshment and warmth which no five-star hotel in this planet could give. Why did they do that? Because they considered us as their family. The koinonia of God. I know a family who has constructed another room in his home only for traveling missionaries and God's people who can come and take rest while traveling. There is a great joy in refreshing the hearts. In my closing thought, I would like to end with a question which I would like you all to ponder throughout the week. And if you want, you could share it with me or with the church if you want to do so. I want you to think, in this COVID-19 situation, how do we enhance our koinonia? How do we refresh the soul of each other. Shall we look into the Lord for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Help us to do what we have seen and what we have heard. Help us, O Lord, to set our identity right. Our identity is in you, in your Son Jesus Christ. Our calling is to labor for your kingdom. That's our vocational identity. Our corporate identity is where you have placed us in the body of Christ, in the church. Help us to live and grow in this community of the koinonia fellowship which you have placed us in, Lord. Thank you, Master, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.